Romans chapter 1. Paul's letter to the church in Rome, written by his hand, but verbalized, communicated by the Spirit of God. This morning we'll read verses 21 through 25. Romans 1, 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, may we submit to Your Word today. Acknowledge it and recognize it as such. Puncture our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And may the words of our mouth, my mouth specifically, and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen. We've spoken the past few weeks about the behavioral sciences And how, without the Bible and a biblical worldview, these things are absolutely perverted and totally and completely um, faulty. They they don't have a reliable basis. And it's easy for us as Christian people to adopt what the secular culture teaches about these things. And so we've got to be vigilant not to allow those things to creep in. Instead, to, to elevate Scripture in our minds and in our eye higher than any other thing. We've got to know that these, these things are, are dangerous and that they would attack us and pervert our mindset. So we've got to be diligent against it. We've spoken about anthropology and the value and the nature of humans. We've spoken about economics. We've spoken about law last week. Today, we want to study the behavioral science of linguistics. What is linguistics? Linguistics is the study of language. The study of language. Where did language come from? What a good question to ask. Where did language come from? First, let's define language. You know what language is, but let's define it so we'll make sure that we're on the same terms. Language is the principal method of human communication. We would agree with that, would we not? It consists of words used in a structured way and conveyed by speech, writing, or gesture. Now, some of you, especially those of you in Bible Academy, I've seen your Language conveyed by writing, and I don't know what you're trying to say. Uh, There are a lot of estimates out there about how many languages are in existence. Um, Suffice it to say, there's roughly 7,000 languages in the world today. Wow! That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? But the linguists... Those who study uh, language, they project out into the future and the rate of the decline of the languages in societies now and projecting out into the future by the year 2200, which is uh, less than 80 years from now, there will only be about 3,500 languages. Half of those will be gone. And by the year 2300, there will only be 100 languages on the face of the earth. Now, that's not uh, definitive. This is a projection, but it's remarkable to think that within about 180 years, we'll go from 7,000 languages down to roughly 100. Why is that? Well, people, people pass, and cultures and smaller cultures and smaller communities pass, and those languages that built those communities pass with them because they're not passed down to other generations. People have a desire to gather together in bigger cities and to come 
come together and pile in on top of one another. And so the languages cease to exist. Something that you ought to know, much of our understanding of languages now comes from Bible translators. Much of the reason that we know there are roughly 7,000 languages on the earth is because Christian people have gone into desolate and sparsely populated places and have desired to communicate the gospel of Jesus to those people. If it wasn't for Christian people, many of these languages would be totally and completely unknown except to the little land, little community that they are prominent in. What a, what, a, what a badge of honor for us as Christian people that we would be the people to, to understand languages. Why? We've only got one motive, one reason, because we want them to know Christ. We want them to understand the gospel. And so we've done that and praise God for that. If you ever find an opportunity to contribute to people who are doing such, it is a worthy mission. There are still many languages around our globe who do not have access to what you and I have. They don't have the scripture in their language. William Tyndale translated into English. and Luther translated into German. And Zwingli translated into Swiss. And Reina translated into Spanish. Judson translated into Burmese. And the American Bible Society and many others have translated into many other languages. We praise God for that. Let's think about language as it pertains to the secular culture. Remember, the humanist comes at everything from a human-centered mindset. Why? Because either there isn't a God in their mind or they don't know who He is, and so it's really irrelevant. They're left to practical solutions. If you divorce the mind from the Bible, you're only going to be right by accident. You won't be right because there's a foundation that you've, you've built your decisions on. And that is true when it comes to language as well. That means that the language from the secular person, the language from the secular culture, the language from the secular community, the things that flow out of their mouths are built on a false premise. Now consider that the next time you, you intake communication and language from godless people. Everything that they say is built on a faulty premise. Why? Because Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 never happened. Jesus, if he did exist, he was just a cool historical figure who might have been a good teacher, but he wasn't the savior of the world. And so what conclusions are we left to come to? False ones. Wrong ones. And that even pervades our speech. Let's think about this. If you you want to call yourself an an atheist uh, or a, a humanist, where did, the, where did the complexity of language come from? If we've evolved from goo, then where did the complexity of language come from? What does it take to, to communicate with someone? Now, you think what we're doing here is normal and natural, and it is. But it's miraculous that it's normal and natural. Why? Let's just start with what we're trying to do here in this moment for these few minutes that we're together preaching. The mind of God has communicated the Word. Okay? And I, as an individual, have read it. So God has spoken to me. And I've taken it in with with my ears to hear. And then that has penetrated my heart and my mind, right? And now it is coming out of my mouth. And it is going into your ears. And then into your heart and your mind. And then you'll take it and you'll do the same with the people that you live with in your house. And the people that you work with in your, at your workplace. And the people that you go to school with. Do you see the complexity? Everything that is required in communication. Do you know how intelligent we have to be in order to process this? It's remarkable. If you don't have good hearing, then you'll appreciate The fact that you need good ears to be able to hear words. We might take it for granted, those of us who have pristine hearing, but some don't. Some can't hear at all. And so everything that is required for language to to go forth and for people to process it and to learn from it, it's remarkable. How did that just evolve into happening? Which one of those things came first? 
the speaking or the hearing? It's, 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 when, you, when you divide it down at that level, you realize there, there's no way that these things progressed one after another. Those, though these things had to happen all at one time. There's no possible other way. It's remarkable. Let's think about secular language for a moment. And let me ask you this question. Why is there vulgarity and slang in language whenever we already have words that communicate the same thing without being vulgar or without being slang? Why do those things exist? If you'll look at the, the bottom of that first section there, if you have your hand out, there's a quote by George Orwell, and I thought it was appropriate for us to think about. He says this, If thought corrupts language then language can also corrupt thought. Can our thoughts corrupt language? Absolutely. That's why we have vulgarity and slang in our language. Because our thoughts have come out of our language. The the ugliness that was in our hearts. The nasty words. If you're my father-in-law, you call it nasty talking. Okay? The nasty words, they originated down here and they came out of my, my mouth. You see? It's not, it's not the word in and of itself that's a problem. It's the thinking behind the word. It's the desire to communicate a truth or a lie, but to communicate something that is in a, in a, in a debased way. I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm upset for whatever reason, and I want to communicate that. I have a perverted thought and I want to communicate that. Where does that vulgarity come from? Well, Genesis 6-5 says that the thoughts of the man's heart were only evil continually. And so, we pervert language. Why do we speak slang? Where do you think that comes from? Is, is it wrong to speak slang? Well, it depends on... Depends on why you're speaking it. Slang is typically the result of either laziness or rebellion. Think about it. The result of laziness or rebellion. It's it's flowing out of a rebellious heart. Why don't you want to communicate in the way that everyone else is communicating? Because you want to set yourself apart. You don't want to operate under those rules. You're different. You're hard-headed. That's how these things come into our culture. Thinking about that same quote from Orwell, if thought corrupts language, which we've just said that it can, then language can also corrupt thought. Is that true? Is it true that language can corrupt thought? If you don't think so, I pity your ignorance. Let's look at some of these phrases here that are, are common and think about how the language is attempting to manipulate the way that we think. You see, if you put a few terms there for you. Pro-choice. What, is, what do we mean when, when, when we hear pro-choice? What is meant? Well, it's, it's, it's yes, it, it is the... Supposedly the opposite of pro-life, but pro-life and pro-choice are not the opposite of one another, are they? What is the opposite of pro-life? Pro-death. But instead of saying pro-death, because that's going to sound bad, we want to put a little twist on it. And we're going to say it's pro-choice that you get to choose. Now it's a positive thing, right? When the only objective is death. You see that? What about the word love? Can that word love be manipulated and twisted? Shoot. Absolutely can. Scripture tells us what love is, but we have a new definition for it. As a matter of fact, it it morphs and changes constantly. Two men can love one another. No, no they can't. Not, Not in an intimate way they can't. Why? Because God created male and female but without a biblical worldview, we miss it, and understandably so. And so we twist what love is. We twist what hate is. If you tell someone that what they believe is wrong, then you just hated them. 
Is that biblical? No. God tells us that we're wrong all the time. And He is love. What about marriage? That twisted? Certainly. What about this term? Birthing person. I think that's called a mom. Mama, mommy, whatever you want to... Everyone knows what a birthing person is. If you think these, these, these words aren't being used and manipulated, you're not, you're not looking in the right places. You're not seeing everything that's out there. Okay? You're, you're looking at a very narrow uh, section of life the way it is now. This is, this is what people are dealing with on a daily basis if they're exposed to the world at all. What about violence? Is that word perverted? Yeah. Our words are violence. No. Our words are not violence. Words can incite violence, but words are not violence. It's even said that silence is violence. Wrap your mind around that. What about the term racism? Has that been co-opted and perverted? Racism is hatred of someone because they are of a different ethnicity than you are. That's what racism is. But now even math is racist. I'm not joking. (laughs) Math. Racist. You know why math is racist? Because math is, is fixed and binary. You're either, you've either got the correct answer or you've got the incorrect answer. Okay? Let's think about this now. Two plus two is, it is four. But 4.25 and 3.75, they're close to four, right? If you tell me that 3.75 is wrong and 4.25 is wrong, then that's racist. You think I'm lying. This is, this is real life. This really exists. So if, if 3.75 or 4.25 can be close enough to being right, then why can't 2 plus 2 equal 10 buck 2? If 2 plus 2 is 4, but 3.75 is close enough, how long is it going to be before 2 plus 2 equals Kathmandu? There's, no, there's nowhere to stop anymore. So what's the objective? The objective is to say, if you tell somebody that they're wrong, and math is defined by you're either right or you're wrong. Close, don't count. You're right or you're wrong. For you to make that definitive conclusion is wrong, and they've used the term racist to define it. It's, it's a lie from, from the pit of hell. Because they hate God. They don't hate math. They hate God who invented math. Math is God's. It's not theirs. So what does God say about language? What do we learn from the scripture about language? It's good to consider God speaking. When did God speak? If you're a Young person, and you're following along there on your kid's handout. When did God speak? God spoke before man even existed. Do you understand? Language existed before we did. How do we know that? Well, Genesis 1-3, And God said, let there be light. That was day one. We didn't come along till day six. And God said, the Hebrew word there is Omar. And it means to make known by uttering or declaring. Think about that. And God made known by uttering it. God made known by declaring it what his will was, that there would be light. And since his will was made known, it had to occur. Why? Because his word does not return to him void. It accomplishes what he sent it out to do every single time. Why? Because he's God. 
God spoke before man. God spoke to man, did He not? In Genesis 1, 28, let me get to Genesis. God blessed the man and God said to them. This is right after man was created. God was speaking to the man. What does that tell us? On the same day that God made man, he started talking to man. What does that tell us about about the capabilities of man? He was made in a what? In a in a mature fashion. Was he not? Adam wasn't born like this. Adam was born probably a little taller than me. Adam was born a grown man. Adam was born mature. And he could comprehend language from his first breath. What else did he know from his first breath? Everything he needed to know. See, Adam didn't grow up with a mom and a dad like you and I did who who taught us over the course of years what life was and how to speak and how to use the restroom on our own and how to write. Some of your parents need to keep working with you on that. All of these things, right? And Adam was just born mature. If Adam was born mature, this is an aside, but let me just seed your mind with this thought. If Adam was born mature, what else was born mature? You think when God made the trees, there was just a seed in the ground? Not at first. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken, says the Bible. Everything was made mature first. So if a scientist wants to look at the world and say, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it could have started on such and such time. You missed it, bro. The world was made mature when it started. Adam's birthday, he was a grown man. Everything was made mature. This is the way God wanted to do it. That's just a little aside, something to put in your mind for future thought. But Adam could speak language from his first day. He didn't have to learn the language. So God spoke before man and to man. God speaks in a general way. Romans 1.20, as you know, says that God speaks in the things that have been made. Right? We don't have to spend significant time there. We've certainly done that over the course of the past few months. And God also speaks in a special way. How does God speak in a special way? Through His Son. John 1, 1 and 14. You guys are going to be familiar with these verses. In the beginning was the Word. What's unique about that word, Word? The very first letter is a W and it is capitalized, is it not? Why is it capitalized? Because it's, it's referring to a person. It is the proper name, another name for Jesus, the Word. How do we know it's talking specifically about Jesus? Well, in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And so the Word is not just a a, a verbal thing that we might process through our ears and into our mind. The Word is actually a person. What is that word there? If you look at it in the Greek, do you know what it is? L-O-G-O-S, logos. Jesus is the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. What does that word Logos actually mean? It means utterance. It means the expression of thought. Have you ever attributed that definition to Jesus before and thought about it that way? If Jesus is the Logos, He is the expression of thought. Whose thought? God's thought. Jesus is the expression of God's thoughts. We don't know God if we don't see Jesus first. Remember, we know that He exists. We can acknowledge that simply by creation, but that is totally insufficient knowledge. That's just general. It's not special. It's not specific. It can't save us. Only the knowledge of Jesus can. If there is no Jesus, there is no language. He is the Word. He is the Logos. He is the expression of thought. Without Jesus, there is no language. Wow. Really, everything hinges on on Jesus, does it not? Everything. 
Everything hinges on Jesus. Man speaks too. The Bible tells us a lot about our speech. How should man speak? I'll just read to you some verses from Proverbs really quickly. How should man speak? Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Oh, no. Did we want to hear that? Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Oh, no. 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. What are we seeing? We're seeing, we're seeing prepared, thoughtful communication. Not hasty communication, but, but wise and, and thought out. In other words, I'm not speaking just because I have a thought. I'm speaking because I've thought through my thought. And it's worth speaking. And we do those things with gentleness and respect. Proverbs 10, 19. Listen to this. Yikes. When words are many... Transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So we ought to speak as men, as people, as humans. We ought to speak with wisdom. We ought to speak with restraint. We certainly speak with boldness whenever it is appropriate. But we speak with restraint. We measure and think through our thoughts before they become our words. How ought man not Speak. In Proverbs 6, verse 16, it says there are seven things that are an abomination to God. When you think of the word abomination, what do you think of? I know what you just thought of. You thought of the snowman on Rudolph, didn't you? Well, there are seven things that are an abomination to God listed here. Three of them have to do... With our mouths. One is a lying tongue. A lying tongue is abominable to God. Verse 19 says, A false witness who breathes out lies. In other words, not just a lie, but a lie on someone else. You can't do much worse than lie on somebody in the eyes of the Lord. And then third, one who sows discord among the brothers. A pot stirrer. These things are abominable to God. So, what else ought man not speak? Titus 3, 2 says, speak evil of no one. Never speak evil about someone. Things might be true, but you don't do them with evil motives. Never speak evil of someone. Ephesians 5, 4 says this. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let's spend just a minute on this verse. That word filthiness means obscene or base talk. Base talk comes from folks with debased minds. Okay? Obscene talk comes from folks with obscene minds. Don't speak filthy. Don't speak foolish talk. All right. I've been waiting on this one. Foolish talk... The Greek word there is, I'm going to spell it for you, M-O-R-O-L-O-G-I-A. Morologia. Well, we already said what logos meant, right? It is the expression of thought. What's the M-O-R-O? Yeah. Moron talk. Moronic logic. Foolish talk. Wow. That's cool. Morologia. Let there be no filthiness. Let there be no morologia. Moron talking. Don't let there either be crude joking. I'm saying foolish things and no crude joking. What is crude joking? Well, it can be, it can be um, debased, but we've already said that, so this must mean something slightly different. Really what it means is no sharp or harsh Sarcasm. Uh Uh-oh. That, you know, 
it, it, scripture doesn't tell us that sarcasm and that joking is wrong. Jesus and Paul were very, very sarcastic when they needed to be. But what was the objective? And when we have something going on, let's think about it now. All right, Christian people, we love the Lord. We don't say nasty stuff. We don't do nasty stuff. We're, we're good, right? We've got something in our heart that we'd like to express. But we know we can't say certain words. And we say words that are acceptable, but in a low blow kind of way. Anybody guilty? Yikes. We just might need to stop the sermon right now and all repent, preacher included. No, no harsh, no sharp sarcasm. We're not trying to get in a dig in an acceptable way. To joke one another is fine, but to joke with, with a punch, that's not. That's not. We ought to be careful. Instead, we're supposed to speak with thanksgiving. This is good, isn't it? What ought man speak? Ephesians 4.15 says... Speaking the what? Truth in what way? Love. Speaking the truth in love. That's what we ought to speak. We speak what is true and we speak it because we love. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no rotten or corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but listen to this, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How many of you have ever built anything before, right? Is a roof good for a home? Do you build the roof after you've built the foundation and nothing else? Why? I thought a roof was good. We need it. It wasn't time for it yet. First, we've got to frame up the walls. There's a lot of things we do before we put the roof on and the shingles on. They are good. But they've got to be done properly. They've got to be done at the appropriate time. Just because something's true doesn't mean it's time to say it. Just because something's good and profitable doesn't mean it's time to say it. Only such as is good for building up. Advancement, edification, constructive. Why? That it may give grace to those who hear. Are Are you using your words with the objective of communicating grace to the hearer? If not, then it's not, not appropriate in that moment to say it. What is it that determines how a man speaks? Ooh. This is where we were always going all along. If you, if you didn't notice it right off, you should have, because Jesus himself addresses our speech by talking about a different part of our body. In Matthew 12... Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, verse 33 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Was that truth in love? Apparently so. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where did our words come from? If you ever say, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. If if not, then the Bible's a liar. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You, you, You hit your thumb with a hammer. Oh, and it just slipped out. No, it didn't. It was in there. That's how it came out. If it wasn't in there, it couldn't have come out. Woo! This is a toughie. Out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. The speech was... Try that again. You thought that was funny, didn't you? I would have to. The speech which exits from a man's mouth first originated in the man's heart. Yikes. What is the heart? The heart is the core of the man. His his mind, his character. Okay? So the words that are coming out of our mouth are a reflection of our character, a reflection of our mind, a reflection of our core, of our heart. If we don't agree with that, you're going to have to take it up with Jesus because that's what he said. 
And then he goes on to say in verse 36, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Not because they spoke it, but because it was here. Do you see how, do you see how um, aggressive and diligent, vigilant we have to be with our, with our hearts? How, how, how intensely we ought to be guarding our hearts? When we, when we find evil things, when we see and hear evil things, we ought to, as, as God's people, as we become sanctified and more and more holy, we're cutting more and more things off. That's why it's so tempting to just say, hey, let's just build a compound, we'll all get in it, and keep everything out. Right? Because we hate sin. We're, we're learning to hate it anyway, and we're seeing and experiencing it so much that we just want out of it. Let's get away from it. That's a good thing. That's a good thought. Of course, we've been sent here to be salt and light, which is a sermon for another day, as you know. However, if you are responsible for your home, then you've got to be more diligent than you think you ought to be in keeping evil out. How do we do it? Well, we don't let secular language and secular thinking in to our home. We protect ourselves from that. It's critical that we do it. It's more dangerous than we might realize. God rules over man's speech. God rules over man's speech. How does God rule over man's speech? Genesis 11, we find that God tangled some tongues, did He not? In Genesis 11, that is the tower of... I I say it Babel. That's probably not right. It's really probably Babel, but I've always said Babel, so I'm just going to keep saying it. At Babel, God tangled the tongues of the people who were there. What What was His reason? Why did He do that? Scripture tells us that everyone was speaking... How many languages? There was one language. And they had said in their minds to achieve a big task. They had set in their minds to build a city for themselves. And then in that city, they were going to build this huge monument to their greatness, right? The tower. And that it was going to, it was going to be a testimony to how, how powerful and how wise and how strong that these people were. Why was, why was God not happy with that objective? Because God had already given them objective. He told Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, spread out on it. And instead of that, they defied God and built a city. What does that tell you about cities from the beginning? One of my favorite movies, Jeremiah Johnson. He says, I've been to a town. That's how I feel. Hey, you want to go to Walmart? I've been to a town. Right? It's, it's, it's inevitable that when a secular culture gets together and puts their mind to something, that they're going to be successful in what they do. This is what God said. Woo! And so, if God leaves them to their own devices, they're going to be successful in building this city and building this big tower. And God said, "Uh uh-uh. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull out the fundamental building block of your culture. Your language. And now you can't talk. Now you can't communicate to, any, to one another. Now you can't get your mind together. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to de-unionize you by pulling your tongue out. By confounding your language. And what happened? There were certain groups of people who spoke the same language. And so God forced them to do what they wouldn't do that he told them to do. He forced them to spread out. And to make their own way. And to spread out over the whole world and... Fill it up. But they hated God's plan. They had a better plan. In Revelation 18, let me just read you a couple of verses there. This is the end of all things. John says, this is verse 1 of Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was made bright with His glory. And He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Where do you think the name of that city comes from? Genesis 11. Babel. 
It's the same thing over again at the end. All the people wanted to gather together and build their own kingdom to, to, to globalize everything and, and unify everything in godlessness. And God's going to do the same thing He did in Genesis 11, except this time with devastating effects. He's going to eliminate Babel of Babylon. Wow. In Luke 1, we see that God tied Zechariah's tongue. What is that? Zechariah was John the Baptist's dad, right? And the angel came and said, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him John. Zechariah didn't believe him. And the angel said, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the days that these things take place. Did God have the right and the power to tie Zechariah's tongue? Yes. Why? Because A, God made Zechariah, and B, God made language. Next, God can also teach our tongues. What? He can teach our tongues. You remember when God spoke to Moses and told Moses to go into Egypt and bring the people out? And Moses said, I'm not a good talker. I'm not eloquent. I shouldn't be the point man on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow it. Anybody ever felt like that? I mean, the, uh, public speaking is the greatest fear on the earth. If you, if you survey it, public speaking is the most fearful thing that, that you can do. No one wants to stand up in front of people and speak. And if they do, why do they want to stand up in front of people and speak? What did the Lord say to Moses? Who made man's mouth? I'm not an eloquent speaker. God said, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? or deaf, or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So God is capable of teaching the tongue as well. We have Him tangling tongues, tying tongues, teaching tongues, and what else? Lastly, transforming tongues. In Acts chapter 2, And what a marvelous transformation of tongues there was in Acts chapter 2. Folks, this is one of the most phenomenal things in all of Scripture. And it ties directly to Genesis 11. When you you think about the comparisons that you can make from God separating everyone out because He removed unified language to Acts 2 where God brings the people together by unifying language. What were these people brought together for? His kingdom. Man, isn't that cool? So you remember when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2 and the apostles began to speak in languages. Folks, these were not unknown languages. These were not unknown tongues. These were tongues that when heard by the hearer, they comprehended what they were saying. These were were intelligible languages that were being spoken. Why did God do this? So the gospel could be preached to the people. And Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't skilled in many languages. He probably spoke a redneck version of the one that he did speak. Think about it. And when Peter speaks and when the apostles speak, then people are hearing it in their own tongues. And what happened as a result of it? Eventually, at the end of the day, 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Why? Because God transformed the language. God transformed the tongue. God can do anything with our tongues. So, let's finish this up. A man has nothing of true value to say if he's not first heard from Jesus. If you've not heard from Jesus first, then you'd... You're incapable of contributing much value. No, no, no transcendent value. Let's put it that way. You have nothing that is, that is eternally valuable to say. You might have something that holds a value for a time, but it's a corruptible value. If you've not heard from Jesus first, you have nothing of value to say. When Peter and James and John uh, saw the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah appear and they were blown away. You know what it says? Peter started 
flapping his gums. And then you know what it says about Peter? After he talked, it says he did not know what to say. Why was he talking? Then God spoke. And he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Nobody came on this mountain to hear you talk. Listen to him. So until we first hear from Jesus, we've got, we got nothing really of value to say. There is incomprehensible power within language. This is by God's design. Incomprehensible power in language. Listen to this. Proverbs 18, 21. If you think I'm fibbing, listen to these words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What a statement. Death and life. Human language is capable of communicating death. And human language is capable of communicating life. What a remarkable thought it is. In James chapter 3, we're just doing this really quickly. James chapter 3 verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. It sets on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. If that doesn't make you want to go, something's wrong. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And sometimes wisdom is with that very tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, after we've blessed our Lord and Father. Let it not be said of us. So there's death in the tongue. There's also life in the tongue. Praise God, there's life in the tongue. Romans 10, 13, quoting from Joel, Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? That is a, that is a verbalization, is it not? Of of what is in the hearts. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14 of that very passage. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? You won't call on Him if you don't believe in Him. And how are you to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? You can't believe in Him if you've never heard of Him. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You can't hear unless someone preaches it. And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Listen, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing. You need more faith? Then you need to hear more. What do you need to hear? The word of Christ. So death is in the tongue and life is also in the tongue. We'll finish like this. Let us, God's people, refuse to adopt their language. Remember we used the analogies, the pro-choice and love and hate and marriage and violence and birthing person and whatever else. We're not going to use that language. That language is based on a lie. Okay? Even even if there might be a sliver of truth in it, it's based on a lie. We're not going to use that language. What language are we going to use instead? We're going to use language that the Bible uses, that the world doesn't use. Words like sin. You ever turn on the news and hear the word sin? Never. Never. Are we seeing sin on the news? Pretty much all of it. But they'll never use that word. We'll use that word. Why? Because Jesus uses that word. We'll use the word abomination. There are things that are abominable to God. We need to say that. We'll use that word. We'll use the word judgment. We'll use the word wrath. We'll use the word hell. We'll use the word repent. We'll use the word holy. We'll use the word submit. We'll use the word obey. And we'll use the word reconciled. 
This is biblical language that is not a part of the culture. This is the kind of language that you and I ought to use. We use it together and we use it in the world. And when they say, what is reconciliation? 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Why? Because I've spoken to you something that you didn't comprehend. And now you're asking me, what is this? You're inquiring about God. And now I have every reason to pour him out on you and speak life to you. This is good. This is good. Psalm 107, verse 2, would our worship team come? We'll sing our last song of worship together. The psalmist says this. Psalm 107, 2. This is real simple. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I don't think I don't think that penetrated. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm I'm not ashamed to call Denise my wife. Okay? I will say so. I will say, yes, that is my wife. I will say, yes, I am her husband. I will say, yes, we are united together. We love each other, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We will not be ashamed of Him. For if we are ashamed of Him here and now, then what? He will be ashamed of us before our Father in heaven. What a privilege it is to understand that the Bible speaks about everything in life, even our language. So let's use our language for His glory. And the best thing that you can do with your tongue is confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth. If you've not done it, do it today. Now is the appointed time for salvation because you've heard God's Word. It's been spoken. It's penetrated your ears into your mind and heart. And the Holy Spirit is communicating to you, resonating that this is true. So believe it. Let's stand and worship.